0: Now it's time for Inspirational Women, and my guest is Sarah Santillis, a thought-provoking author whose newest book is Stranger Care, a memoir of loving what isn't ours. Sarah opens her heart to pour out her story of motherhood and mothering, a journey which involves navigating the foster care system in two states, and a list of challenges and growth opportunities that really are special gifts. There are lessons here that we can all learn and use to help in creating a more peaceful and loving world. So let's meet Sarah to discover this now. Sarah Santillas, good morning and thank you so greatly for being with us today.
1: Good morning, Kate. Thank you so much for talking with me.
0: And thank you for being Such an incredible writer. Of course, uh, part of it is education, but obviously, part of it is just your heart and just your passion to be able to put forth stories, ideas. So, this newest book, "Stranger Care," a memoir of loving what isn't ours, is just so deep into our heart, right into our gut, about experience your experiences uh, in. the whole process of considering a child, adoption, foster care, uh, a whole gamut. And I think it's such a critical and serious topic in our society today because there's such a need. And so your book, I think, gives us such a, well, I'm going to call it a resource, but really an important story to really grapple with this. And for those of us who aren't in that kind of process, but just to understand what this world is like.
1: Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to be able to capture on the page um, what it feels like to navigate the foster care system as a person like me, so that people could imagine what it feels like to navigate the foster system as one of the 500,000 children, vulnerable children, um, uh, stuck or saved or trapped, however you want to say it in this system.
0: And that's an incredible number to consider. And when we read your book, we we get to feel what that whole system, and it is a system, and it it just feels so wonky. And sometimes I just wanted to to shake the system, like, how can you be like this? You came to it, though, not necessarily being aware of that, though, right? Yes, I didn't,
1: despite the fact that uh, my partner Eric and I are both, Academics or have academic backgrounds. We did very little research about foster care and what it looks like. Uh, we came to it because um, I was not admitting to myself that being a mother was my deepest longing. You know, I'm a feminist. I, I like to think that I say out loud my desires and my needs, um, but I hadn't been speaking this one. And by the time I did, I discovered I was married to someone who. Um, is an environmentalist, and he didn't want to bring another human being onto the planet. He thought, there's so many children in need of homes, why don't we parent a child who already exists and who needs a safe place to go? So Eric wants to live in a world where we tend the earth, and I want to live in a world where we tend one another, where we take care of the stranger and the, and the vulnerable. And so foster care became our common ground, the way that we decided we would become parents. And we entered that system thinking that we would offer a child a permanent placement. A lot of um, children in the foster care system are moved from home to home to home to home. So we thought being a family that wanted to give a child a forever home would be a good place to be. Um, and we started the process in Oregon, the certification process, the licensing process, we ended up moving to Idaho in the middle of that and had to start all over again and became licensed foster parents in Idaho.
0: So that was really a, a heavy process to, to go through and to not have any training follow you, that each state has its own rules. So there there's no agreement between states. And in fact, they can be very different.
1: Yes, and that's a great um, spot where there could be reform efforts to kind of um, standardize practices and procedures and trainings and across states. Um, <clears throat> that's that's a real need, I think.
0: So, really, your goal and Eric's goal do fit well together to really care for. For the uh, people, for the planet, and I think if we really look at it, it's all so intertwined. So, it, you know, I th- I think your goals were really quite compatible, right? <laughs>
1: they were, they were. You know, we we've been married a long time, and we've learned to navigate um, the the different worldviews we have. We have the same worldview up to a point where we both think that. Um, the world is made that that humans are responsible for a lot of the situations we find ourselves in. Um, and I and Eric thinks humans won't really change, and I I think we might. Um, and so foster care was this place, <clears throat> excuse me, where we got to really practice um, living out our worldview, um, practice a sense of accountability for people, practice a sense of love, um, practice this idea that that parenting itself is a practice, that it's something that we do. Uh, for one another, and so in that way, it was a beautiful, heart-expanding experience to become a foster parent.
0: And it also can be a heartbreaking experience in, in in numerous ways. Not the least of which is perhaps just the whole process of of what it takes to to have to go through the paperwork and being certified, which of course is important, but s- certainly some of that is uh, is pretty wrenching.
1: Yeah, whenever I would complain about how invasive the system was or the or the process of becoming licensed, you know, they want to ask you about your sexual history, your work history, your family history, your dating history, just everything. They want to know everything. And and um, whenever I would complain about that to Eric, he would say, they're trusting us with a child. <laughs> Don't you want them to be as invasive as possible? And I, I think that's right. Um, you know, the the thing that we underestimated was how – Immediately and fiercely attached, we would feel, um, to our foster daughter. So we got a phone call at 11 a.m., um, one morning and we were at the hospital in Twin Falls, Idaho, picking up our three day old foster daughter by 2 p.m. that day. So we became foster parents, you know, within a matter of hours and our love for her and our connection to her. Uh, were immediate. Uh, We felt protective of her. We felt in love with her. We felt ready to attend her and care for her. And our love for her only grew. Um, We hadn't done much research on the fact that Idaho, the state where we live, is what's called a reunification state. So they reunify foster children with their biological parents 70-something percent of the time. Um, The national average is more around 50 percent. So in Idaho, the most important thing is reunifying children with their biological families. Um so we we did not know about that. Um, we didn't necessarily know about the challenge of learning to love uh, the biological family one of our one of our uh, certification trainers said to us once, If you can't love their parent, the child will think you can't love them um, So I had to really learn how to love um, and also tend um, this other stranger who who is a biological mother um, our our foster daughter 's name was Coco. I had to learn how to love her too. but once you once you connect with this uh, tiny infant and she was in our care for months and months and months, then the prospect of of having to return her to a situation that may or may not be safe, that was the shattering
0: piece. i I can't even imagine that because she feels like your daughter. she she was your daughter all this time. And there was always, well, it was um, both two-pronged, right? You knew that she could go back to the parent, but wasn't there just the belief that, no, she will be ours?
1: Yes. (laughs) I think we tried to hold both of those things at once. You know, we had originally been told that her biological mother was what they call a poor prognosis. This is this very alienating, cold, bureaucratic language. You know, I, I named the book Stranger care because that's what Eric and I were called in the foster care system, non-relative care providers or stranger care, which is such an alienating term for a very intimate task. Um, But we had been told that the her birth mother was a was a poor prognosis that the chances of us getting to um, keep uh, Coco were were very great. Um, But then in the middle of the process, things started changing and. And the birth mother did all the things she needed to do to prepare to to get her daughter back. Um, and so I tried to hold two things in my mind at once. One, I wanted to root for this birth mother to get her daughter back because she had experienced lots of trauma in her life. Um, she suffered from addiction and other other issues. And here she was trying to get her life back together so she could bring her daughter home. And I needed to root for that. I needed to support her efforts doing that. Um, and at the same time, <clears throat> I wanted to keep Coco. I wanted her to be ours forever. I wanted to help support her to have a beautiful life. Um, so I tried to hold both of those ideas in my heart and in my mind at the same time. Um, and that was a real struggle.
0: So what comes to mind, actually, Sarah, when they, uh, the state might call it stranger care, but I think the title they should give people who do this kind of action saints when you have to oh. ho- hold all that in your heart and be who you are
1: I, you know I don't think we're saints I think um uh we're we're being human I mean I think that was one of the things that this showed me a lot of times people talk about how their heart expanded um, when they gave birth to their first child or they never knew love um like they knew when they became parents. And I, experience, I I actually was frankly quite annoyed by that um idea. It kind of frames non parents as deficient and makes assumptions about what people who don't have children are capable of or what kind of love they feel. But I did feel my heart expand with Coco and it was immediate. Um but but what that showed me is that it's not it's not becoming a parent that is the only way that your heart can expand. It's when you hear the universe say, Here tend this. Um, that's what I heard the universe say to me about Coco. Here, tend this. And I think that the universe is saying that to us all the time. Here, tend this landscape, tend this refugee, tend this community, tend this neighborhood. And so I realized if my heart could expand for Coco, then it could span for all those things as well. And I think that's true for all of us. Um, I think we misunderstand and we underestimate um, the kinds of love we're capable of practicing for one another. And sometimes our stories about family and who we're responsible for, who we're supposed to tend, get in the way of our ability to see a much broader, um, more expansive um, sense of community and love. And that—that's really part of the, at the heart of stranger care, which is um, what would we, what would the world look like if we lived as if we were all related, as if we were all family? Um, and that—that that was the question that was animating this project for me.
0: And. I'm sure really that's a question for all time, but it feels like a question for now and yes. a consideration. What, how can we make this be who we are today in this place on this planet?
1: Oh, that's perfectly said, Kate. You know, I, I think it's the, it's the question that was revealed also by the pandemic. Are we gonna be a community that takes care of one another? Are we gonna be a community that takes care of the most vulnerable? And for me, that's the question at the heart of the foster care system, too. You know, like I said in the beginning of our conversation, it was a real difficult bureaucracy for me to navigate. I think some of the moments in the book are absurd. (laughs) They're absurd and, in a way, funny. But if if I'm this overeducated white woman with financial means and I had difficulty navigating it, the people I need to think more about are the children that are trying to navigate this and the birth parents that are trying to navigate that um, and they, they need us. They need us to pay attention. They need us to be foster parents. They need us to be CASA volunteers as the court-appointed special advocate who can become advocates for foster parents, I mean, for foster children. Um, so, so they need more of us to be paying better attention and to be doing more for them.
0: And that's where Eric's side of it, wanting to take care of of these beings who already exist and need that love and and family uh, really comes into play. There is that role for all of us.
1: Yes. He's he's made me a better person, a more responsible and accountable person in, in a million different ways, and I'm grateful every day that, that
0: he's my partner. So well, I'd like to talk about your bringing Coco into your home, and you had her, and she was family. And the thing is, of course, it evolves through the book because it's – um it's it's a story but i think in in talking about that there's still so much in the way that you describe it that we of course can't do because it's an entire book but in the book you you have these incredible moments that she really is yours um and, and then she really and then she's literally wrenched away from you
1: yes this is the the challenge of the foster care system and being a foster parent which is Foster parents are asked to have a very expansive sense of family. We're asked to, to love the children who come into our care. Maybe they come in for one night. Maybe they come in for years um, as if they are, quote, our own. You know, and that's part of the lesson of the foster care system, which is all of these children are ours. You know, and the, the question that we just talked about, will we care for them? Mm-hmm. What will we do for them? Um, and so Eric and I loved her like a daughter, um, even though we knew she wasn't We also knew she belonged to us, and we belonged to her, and we wanted to keep her. That was the feeling, um, which is a very uncomfortable feeling to want to keep something that's not yours. Um, So the foster care system asks foster parents to have that expansive sense of family. But in practice, at least in Idaho, the relationships that matter the most are biological relationships. So because Idaho is a reunification state, and their goal was to reunify um, Coco with her mother, who I call Evelyn in the book. Um, then the only relationship that mattered was that biological one. Um, Evelyn was surrounded with support while Constance was in our care. So she had us to take care of her child. She had um, job training. She had a social worker. She had drug counselors. She had counselor counselors. You know, She had support after support after support. Um, but once reunification happens, all of those supports disappear. People might not know that. So once the court closes the case and says Coco is back with Evelyn, um, then the social workers say our job is done and Evelyn is on her own, and which meant that Coco is also on her own. Um, so that was very difficult for us because we had been thinking – about Coco as our family but when the case is closed we're no longer involved um if Evelyn wants to keep in touch with us she can but if she doesn't want to she doesn't have to so this um, baby girl who we've known everything about what she ate what she liked to do how she played you know what she did when the sun hit her face um what walks she loved to go on then all of a sudden we know nothing Um, we don't know where she is if she's safe who she's with what's happening to her
0: Truly gut-wrenching. Very and, difficult. And I would th- think that as the parent, Evelyn would want the best for her child, so that's one thing. The second thing is the support that she was n- needing and hopefully taking good advantage of, that the state wouldn't say she still needs this, even when maybe more so when the child is back in her care.
1: That's very confusing why you would wrap someone in services when they don't have their child, but then take the services away when they do. Um, I think part of that is, is because uh, part of what the foster care system is doing is protecting biological parents' uh, constitutional rights, which is something we want. We don't want States that just come in and take people's children and then stay involved in their lives as long as they want to, you know, um, that there's a long history of racism and, um In the foster care system. And, uh, you know, a lot of times once the reason that children end up in the foster care system are because so many of our other systems haven't worked, you know, they end up there because we don't have good mental health uh, care, we don't have good drug rehabilitation programs. Um, there's poverty, there's racism, there's sexism. We don't have pro-family programs. So we're asking people to parent already with a in a very difficult situation. And so all of those things have broken down by the time a child comes into, into care. Um, and we don't want to have a state that says, you know, you're poor, so I'm going to take your kid, or you're Black, I'm going to take your kid, or you're feminist, I'm going to take your kid. We don't want to be in that kind of situation. At the same time, what would it look like to uh, build a pro-family community? that supported families all the time, not just when they were in crisis. Um, and that is connected to issues about living wage, um, public housing, you know, all the kinds of things that we know that help people thrive.
0: Yes. Yes, it is complex, and yet in some ways it's also quite simple, but more than we can get <laughs> into here. But certainly your book, Stranger Care, A Memoir of Loving What Isn't Ours, gets us to be thinking about this, all these questions and grappling with it? And what do we need to be doing each of us to really create this more loving, peaceful world? And, you know, taking advantage of this now where we are here to take care of each other?
1: Yes, you know, it's I before, um before Coco came into our lives, I, I wrote a book called Draw Your Weapons, which was about is about how, how do we respond to um, images of people in pain, like what's required of us? How how can we help build a better world? And what difference might art and writing make in, that, in those efforts? And I was giving a lot of talks about a philosopher named Emmanuel Levinas, whose family was killed in the Holocaust. And he dedicated his life to trying to come up with a, a philosophical or ethical system that would make another genocide impossible. And his idea was that and um, when you encounter someone who's different than you and um, what he calls the other or the face of the other, and when that other scares you um, or you have difficulty recognizing them as a life or as, as someone valuable, then that difference or that fear should be the sign that you are in the presence of the divine for loving us. You're in the presence of God. And I had been talking about that, you know, like when you when you encounter a stranger, it should be the sign that you're... In the presence of of god and that that other's life needs to be protected at all costs even at the cost of of losing your own life and i had assumed when i became a foster parent that that stranger or that other would be the foster child or coco that that would be the challenge of who i was called to love but that was the easy part Um, really the stranger was her mother evelyn um, and i had to learn to practice loving her and that has been one of the most beautiful and profound and meaningful relationships of my life, um, to learn to love this other mother, um, this mother that I had nothing in common with, except we turned out to have everything in common, which was that we loved the same girl. Um, and so that, that was quite a transformational experience for me, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that.
0: That is so beautiful. Beautiful and so wonderfully stated, Sarah, to view the others, whoever that might be in our life, and to embrace them and what that means for ourselves, for our heart and our soul. And, and then you just expand it to everyone else. I mean, we, we could, getting very lofty, really have peace on earth.
1: We could. I mean, I think that was loving off this idea, right? Um, and, and it was, I loved it. I loved it as an idea. When, and I would talk about it and write about it. But then when I was confronted with this person who I was going to be forced to give my daughter back to, and that was the feeling. Could I love her? Could I support her? It was a lot different in practice than um, than it had been when it was all theoretical.
0: Well, if things are easy, then, well... He just kind of passed them off, it, 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 <laughs> yeah. right? But it's wasn't it then the process of having to probably wrangle yourself in a way to come to that uh, wrangle in the sense of confronting emotions and mm-hmm. and having to talk, to talk to them and 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 work through them.
1: Wrangle is such a perfect way. That's what it was. It was like wrangling. You know, I could. One day I could do it well, and the next day I I was terrible at it. I did a lot of um, meditation, which really helped me. I did the loving-kindness meditation, which is, I think, a Buddhist practice where um, you wish, I would say, may you be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease, and you start first with yourself, then with someone you love, then with someone you just see regularly in your daily life but you don't quite know, then somebody that you struggle with or a difficult person in your life. And then it kind of expands out in circles to all beings everywhere. And I I would do that every single time before I was about to see Evelyn. Um, And when I would do it, she would hug me and smile and laugh at my dumb jokes. I always like to make jokes in really inappropriate (laughs) times. she She would laugh at them and we would really connect. If I didn't do it, she would barely look at me, um, so it really showed me the the power of um, love as a practice, as a meditative practice, as a physical practice, as a um, a way of being in the world. That sometimes we get right, and sometimes we don't.
0: Oh, that! Thank you for sharing that. That is, you could feel then how tangible it is when you did it and when you didn't and she was she would have no clue but it was her response she could really mm-hmm. feel it isn't that incredible mm-hmm. wow
1: it was it was like magic it was yeah. really weird it was really strange and and beautiful you know it was good actually to have something concrete to be able to do in order to prepare to to try to be a vulnerable and loving person with this other vulnerable and loving person um with this baby girl that we had in common
0: yes and then on a tangent, I'm just thinking of that kind of practice. If each of us did that in terms of ourselves each day as we begin the day, how differently our day might go and again, what we would create.
1: Yes, agreed. And and of course, I do it imperfectly. I'm still filled with rage and feelings of helplessness and anger. Um, but uh, to have these these kind of tools to turn back to or to fall back on can be really useful.
0: And I think we need to keep telling the stories and reminding ourselves because I kind of think that, you know, as long as we're here alive, we're still here to practice these things and try to to get to the point of, you know, close to perfection if we can. Possibly, (laughs) I'm so
1: far from that. I'm so far from that. It helps me just—I see see it as a practice, and sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I'm way off base.
0: Yet it's there, and and it's good to know how you know to have that experience of saying how how this works, and encouraging each other to to incorporate that into our lives. So it is part of the book. It is part of Stranger Care, a memoir of loving what isn't ours. And, you know, to have written this book and really you're opening your soul to us. You're you're really giving us these details of what goes on, which is important, I feel, for us to understand and uh, really then do something about it uh, in, in one way or another that fits into our own lives.
1: That, that, that would be a beautiful thing. That is my hope, that um, it did, even though this is the most shattering experience of my life, it was also the most beautiful and the most um, risky and the most profound. And um, there's opportunities for all of us to tend strangers, you know, whether that's your neighbor, whether that's someone on the other side of the world, whether that's um, immigrants in your community, whether that's fighting against racism, whether that's feeding the hungry. Um, one of the things that Almost every religion shares in common is the, the idea that we're called to love the stranger. And so I think it's important for all of us to ask, you know, what, what does that mean? Who is the stranger to me? And what can I do to help support them so that they might flourish too?
0: Yes, indeed. And the story keeps rolling on. And while Coco is not physically in your life as your child, you still have some connection with her. We
1: do it's very complicated what's um happening and I'm not allowed to say too much okay. about it but we do zoom with her every Thursday morning which is the most beautiful thing we Eric and I wear funny hats we have like bunny hats and frog hats and jellyfish hats and um we've sent her toys and we have toys so that we can play with the same things at the same time and it's such a joy filled giggly fun um 30 minutes that's what we're um, allowed we have 30 minutes and then when the screen goes dark it's like losing her all over again mm. um, but we are fighting for her you know it's always been our priority to make sure she's safe and we're doing everything in our power to try to make sure that that she's safe and loved and well tended
0: and th- w- which is wonderful and and we'll we'll pray that that comes to fruition but, and you also have another little bundle of joy in your life.
1: I do. We um, worked with an adoption agency in Idaho uh, called a New Beginning, which is a beautiful, powerful, very ethical nonprofit adoption agency, and um, we matched with a birth mother who is one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life and she gave birth on in April, and we brought our son home and um we, it's an open adoption so it's more family more family more family he'll always know he's adopted he'll always know his birth mother and and her family um and it's been just a joy filled <laughs> sleep deprived incredible experience so we're we're really thrilled uh, to be parents
0: that is thrilling I am just so happy for you and Eric and and everyone, the baby and the birth mother and, and uh, all of your families, you know, as they, as they grow. So it's, oh, well, that is wonderful. The book is wonderful. I so appreciate you. You're doing such great and important work in the world. We should mention your website, Sarah, so people can learn more about you and get information about the book.
1: Great. It's com. S a r a h s e n T-I-L-L-E-S dot com. And I have some writing there. I I teach some writing workshops. I have interviews with people. So um, please check it out and um, please read Stranger Care. I wrote it as a love letter to Coco. I wrote it to mother her uh, when I'm no longer allowed to. And, um, you know, when it became clear that Coco was going to be reunified, my friends brought us children's books. They built a library of children's books for her. They thought, well, if she can't have us as forever parents, she can have these stories that will light her way. And I wrote Stranger Care to also help light her way and to help light the reader's way. It's a sad story, but it's also a story about hope and about the transformational possibilities of love and this idea that if we're all made of the same material, if we all come from the stars, then we're never far from home and we belong here and we belong to each other.
0: Yes, indeed. Amen to all of that. So beautiful, and as are you, Sarah Santillas and I so appreciate that you've spent this time with us this morning.
1: Oh, Kate, it was all my pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and for your beautiful questions and for all you do to help make a better world. Your um, podcast is very world-repairing, and I'm grateful to get to participate.
0: Thank you. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Sarah Santillas and Sunday Morning Magazine with Robert Beatty. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of finding the ways that we are so connected to each other, to our planet. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 1069. Good morning.